Seacoast Church family, you guys are world-renowned for everything that you've done and for the revival that's been happening there for a long time. Pastor Greg, Pastor Josh, the Surratt family, thank you guys for loving the city of Houston so much that you've helped us dive in the water through your giving and saved people's lives one person at a time. And though the sun is out right now, it is hot, it is humid because of all the water that we've got. And even though the sun's out, the storm's far from over because right now what we're dealing with is the timed release of reservoirs and bayous around the city. People who don't think they're, they're gonna get flooded, um, they're getting flooded. And this is gonna happen for the next 30 days. Adam Rust is an usher at our church, and now he's running a fleet of airboats. In fact, he's got six boats going today, and they're out rescuing people, and they've gone from Houston all the way down to the port. Whenever I talked to Adam on Monday, I said, tell you what, Hope City's gonna come alongside you. We're gonna give you $5,000 to gas the boats, and it's been unbelievable to hear the stories. In fact, there was a, a guy who was a paraplegic. There was no way that he was gonna get out of his house. He was covered in some of, some of the debris that had kind of floated around his house, and Adam and the guys went in and got him out and took him to higher ground and got him into a shelter. My favorite part about this whole thing is people who don't believe in Christ being rescued by Christians. We're literally holding out our hands, picking them up and saving their lives. And we're watching people give their lives to Jesus in rescue boats. Nothing shows the heart of God more than what Zach did for a lady in Kingwood, just northeast of the city. Zach is in a boat and he looks out across and he sees a lady and she's just zipping down through the water and hitting trees and she finally grabs on. And Zach thinks really fast, ties a rope around his waist and dives into the water. He grabs her, says, you're gonna be all right and swims her back to dry land. She can't stop crying. We didn't even get her name. Zach is a volunteer at a church. It's when ordinary people, ordinary people of God say, we will not go quietly into this storm. We will not sit silently. We will jump into the waters and we will put ourselves at peril to save lives because that's what we do. That's what we do as a church. And that's what you've done for us. You've thrown us a lifeline, so thank you. We appreciate it. We don't know what to do right now other than just keep doing what we're doing. Pull people out of the water and, and, and get their feet on solid, safe ground. Keep praying for us. We love you and we thank God for you. Isn't that good? It's, uh, yeah. I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or on the internet. Um, that's Jeremy Foster, and he is a pastor of one of our ARC churches uh, in uh, the Houston area. In fact, I, last week when we prayed just a little bit for the hurricane, I said we have 22 churches that are kind of in the path. And this week we have 22 churches that are aggressively helping and spreading the love of Jesus. And uh, we, we've had thousands of uh, people who have uh, taken shelter in some of our buildings. And uh, we've had over 1,000 people that were rescued uh, by uh, various uh, individuals. Jeremy, uh, you guys don't know him. You helped start his church. Uh, we started uh, Hope City Church two and a half years ago. It's, it's fastest growing church in America. might be the fastest growing church in the history of churches. It, they, they've grown to over 8,000 people in just two and a half years and just doing an incredible job. Uh, but um, Jeremy sent that, and I talked to him, talked to some of our other partners. I said, what can we do? 
And uh, they said, well, sometime you can send some folks down, but probably right, not right now. We, we, we don't know what to do with them. We're just kind of in recovery mode, or yeah, we're just kind of trying to help people out. And uh, so later we'll probably uh, send some folks down, uh, but until then we're just gonna help financially. And that's what they need, just to kind of feel that. And they, um, I was watching the other day on television one of the major uh, networks, and they were saying, how can you best help? And, of course, there are all kinds of people you can give to, but they said some of the best people to give to are um, small, local, uh, nonprofits that are close to the action, and you know the money's going to get where it needs to go. Well, we have 22 of those. And so that's what we're doing. We've already given some money. We're going to give some more. Normally, we won't take an extra offering, but we're going to do it. How many of you think it's okay to give everybody an opportunity to give toward Texas? Yeah. And uh, so we're going to do that. Here's what you do. If you got a phone, if you have a phone, pull your phone out. Pull your smartphone out uh, if, you, if you can do that. We have 15,000 people that are uh, attending Seacoast this weekend. If we all just gave a little bit, just a little bit, you know, $2 here, $3 there, $5, $10, don't take big gifts. Uh, we can add up and just do a whole lot for this. So if you've got a smartphone, the easiest way to do it, what I do is text to give. You just text the word relief and then a number, you know, five or 10, whatever you want to put, uh, to uh, 843-410-0739, okay? 843-410-0739. Just text that and uh, we'll get it out probably on Tuesday, since this is Memorial Day weekend. Or you can give online, if you're used to giving online, online at seacoast.org, front slash uh, Harvey, and uh, we'll, we'll give toward the need. Second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. Uh, the president asked us to make Sunday a day of prayer uh, for the hurricane, and so we're gonna do that. We're gonna pray for those that are uh, in harm's way and maybe have lost jobs and some have lost families, some have lost homes. And so we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna pray selfishly. Because I don't know if you noticed, but there's another hurricane out here, just a little ways, called Irma. And we're gonna pray that God sends that bad girl back out to sea. Just do, do one of these big U-turns and doesn't impact uh, people. How many of you think that's a good idea? And uh, yeah, so... So yesterday, we were on, last night, we were on our way to church, and Debbie said, you know, we could be on the receiving end of this, you know, in about a week and a half, and we said, no, we're going to pray, pray it away, but if it comes, it comes, and we'll, we'll handle that, and we'll serve, and we'll do whatever we need to do, but how have you know that it's better to give than it is to receive, and so we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to pray right now. That, that that goes away, all right? So join me in prayer. Father, I thank you just for your kingdom. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for how even in the midst of a storm, you can bring peace. And I ask that you do that. We ask together that you do that in Texas with our partners there. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the churches and the volunteers who are by the thousands are out uh, helping right now. And uh, we, we pray for those who've lost home and loved ones and jobs and all of those things. We ask that your kingdom would come in their lives and that your will would be done, that you would minister peace through your people. God, we also pray for the hurricane that's out in the Atlantic Ocean right now. 
We asked that that thing would turn and it wouldn't impact people at all in the islands, in the Bahamas. Lord, we pray for protection. Ask that it would turn away and that your kingdom would come there also. In your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, good. Well, listen, we're glad you guys are here and uh, what a great holiday weekend. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful, it really has been a great time together. I'm gonna introduce uh, you to the latest member of our teaching team. I introduced you to him about six weeks ago, and he's gonna be coming in every six, eight weeks, maybe four weeks, and being a part of the teaching team. Uh, from St. Louis, Missouri, Darren Patrick built a great church there, brought his family with him this weekend, and so they're enjoying the Charleston area. So would you give a great big welcome to Darren Patrick as he comes and shares with us? Well, hey, guys, I'd love for you to meet my family. Uh, let me show them to you here. Um, so this is Amy, my wife, and this is Gracie and Delaney and Glory and Drew, and that's our dog who will remain nameless because um, he's not a good boy. But anyway, um, we've had a great time, and we're so excited to be participating in this series with you, A Year in the Word. And how many of you read the Bible more this year than ever maybe in your life? Yeah. How many of you have been confused about the Bible more than any time in your life? See, here's what happens when you read the Bible, you get confused. Because there's a lot, of, written over thousands of years, dozens of authors, and so one of the reasons we're doing this series within the series called Start Here is to kind of put the cookies on the low shelf for us. What is it that is basic to Christianity? And, and, and what is it that we need to focus on? And if you're in church, you're in a small group, you're in a Bible study, and somebody asks you a question, 95% of the time, if you say Jesus, it's the right answer. I'm just gonna throw that out there for you as you're new. So we're focusing on Jesus, and we're focusing on what he did, what he said, how he related to people. And um, my text that I'm kind of using in John to jump off into another text is in, found in chapter seven, and it says this. These are the words of Jesus. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, I would submit to you, this may be the hardest verse in the Bible to obey. How many of you have ever misjudged someone or something? Please raise your hand. How many of you have done it today? Keep your hands raised. This is hard stuff, people, right? It's hard to obey. It's easy to misuse our words, but words are a big deal to God. Uh, when God created the whole universe, he did it with a what? A word. When God said, I want to reveal myself to you, I want you to know who I am in my character, what I'm like, who I uh, am and with regard to my will, what I want and, and, and how my ways are, how I work. What did God give us to see all that? Words. And as we're gonna see, when God wants to shape us and correct us and grow our character, he will give other people words for us. Words are a big deal to God. And Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, used words with right judgment. In chapter three, Pastor Josh uh, took us through a couple weeks ago. He used words to help instruct a confused religious leader. In chapter four, he used compassionate words to help heal an immoral woman. In chapter five, Pastor Greg, last week, he used words to heal a man who was paralyzed. 
And in, in chapter six, with ignorant disciples and foolish crowds, he used words. Jesus is constantly using words, and he's constantly using right judgment with those words. Now, in the Gospel of John, we see it demonstrated, Jesus using words. But in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus instructing us how to use our words. So what I wanna do, this is like a diving board. We're gonna dive from the Gospel of John into the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna go from the hardest verse, I think, to obey in the Bible, to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. You ready for it? I would ask for a drum roll, but we don't wanna do that in church, okay, you ready? Judge not, lest you be judged. That, this is the most famous verse. Some would argue, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It's football season, Tebow, I black, that whole thing. Okay, we know that verse, but not like we know this verse. You ask anybody, they may not know it's in the Bible, you start like putting some heat on them with, with a little bit of evaluation. Well, the Bible says not to judge, right? They know this verse. Everybody knows this verse. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. But a lot of times we don't know the context of this verse, which is why we're doing this sermon. Let's keep reading. Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Your standard for others' behavior, in other words, will be applied to you. The measure you use will be measured to you. And what happens is our words create an environment, an atmosphere. I would call it even a culture. We create with our words a culture of judgment. There was a scholar named Francis Schaeffer that um, kind of supposed this. This isn't biblical, this is just his ideas, he thought about words and, and how we judge. He said, mystically, what happens when we're born is, uh, God puts a tape recorder, this is, this is not actual, this is mystical, God puts a tape recorder in our neck. Now, you know, he was from the 70s when they had cassette tapes. How many of you remember cassette tapes? How many are that old? Okay, so, so there's this tape recorder implanted in your neck, mystically, and every single time you you, you make an evaluation of someone, you have an expectation of someone, you have a measurement of someone, you expect something of other people, it's recorded. And then when you stand before God and he gives an evaluation of your life, Schaefer says, God simply plays the tape back and measures your life, not compared to what he said, but compared to your own standard of measurement. What's he pointing out there? He's saying there's a culture that happens when we judge, and some of you are like, that is exactly why I don't judge people. Because I don't need that heat, man. I don't want that, right? Now, I've done this to myself. Um, okay, I grew up in a home. I, my mom um, grew up in the Great Depression, and so when we had a home and she had her own stuff, she was very particular about how um, you know, things were in the house and everything had a place and a place for everything and all that. And, and I would kind of mess with her as a teenager. I'd come in and move pillows around and take pictures and just slightly turn them, you know, and she'd just freak out. I mean, to come in and see everything. So that was mom. Now, I utterly and totally rebelled against that as a teenager. Do you ever wake up one day as an adult and go, oh my goodness, I have become my parents? Has that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> well, that's happened to me with this cleanliness thing. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm like all about it with my kids, with four kids, um, and like, you know, pick up after yourself, what are you doing leaving that out? I already told you that. Well, occasionally, just occasionally, 
um, I will violate my standard, myself. And there is always someone there to measure me. Specifically, one of my children, her name is Gracie. Gracie's our truth teller. Now, Gracie here is pointing out the fact that I have left the pretzels on the table unattended. <laughs> Gracie is simply evaluating me in the same way that I have constantly and consistently and frequently evaluated her over her 14 years of life, right? And this is true of all of us. We create a standard of judgment in and around our life. And some of you are like, well, I I'm not... Okay, I'm shutting up then. I'm not gonna judge. Here's the problem. <clears throat> we judge more with our thoughts than we do our lips. So even if you don't judge any, and even if you keep your mouth shut, you're making judgments. Now, I read this years ago. There was a book by this MIT professor. It was a business book. It was about, um, I think it was called The Fifth Discipline. And he talked about this dynamic with, between our words and our thoughts, and he says every time we're talking to someone, there's a couple of dynamics going on, and he calls it um, the right-hand uh, column. The right-hand column is what you say. And then there's this thing called the left-hand column. This is what you think, but don't say, okay? So what you say, and then what you think, but don't say, example. You say to someone, be it very appropriate, after a service like this, let's have lunch. That's what you say. Now, here's what you think as you're saying that. I hope they say no. <laughs> Don't act like you haven't done it, right? So, so can we be that connected, okay? And the other times, it's like, okay, good to see you. But in your thoughts, you're like, they never text me back. <laughs> it's a good thing I see them because they would never communicate. They never text me back, right? We're constantly doing this, right? It's not just verbal external judgment. It's internal judgment. Judgment, And with the, the, that judgment, we are creating an atmosphere, a, a culture of judgment. Now, Jesus illustrates this in the next two verses, and he does it with some incredible first century stand-up comedy. Stay with me here. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now, this is, um, this is really good comedy, and I, and, I, and I need to do what I think Jesus was doing when he gave this teaching. I believe Jesus, when he was teaching this, and this is the most overused pastoral prop in history, but I'm gonna do it, he grabs a log, and as he's talking, probably to Peter, he says, I'm gonna, how can you pick the speck of sawdust when you've got a log? This is comedy. The disciples are falling out, right? The, 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 you know, Showtime is calling him to get an hour comedy special. This is funny stuff. And Jesus is illustrating something that is very important for us to get. And this is the punchline of the sermon. Don't miss it. And, and it is simply this. We must judge ourselves as we judge others. We judge ourselves as we judge others. There's an order to it. Um, before I get into that, Here's, here's what Jesus is, is forcing us uh, to deal with, this question. Why is it so easy for us to see the smallest sins and faults and shortcomings in others and not notice how big the shortcomings, failures, and sins are in ourselves? Why is that so easy? Why is it so easy to not notice the log? What's up with that? 
Why is that the, the, the problem of every single human being? I know a lot of you guys are reading the Bible um, and, uh, and you're seeing some people do some awesome things. I read the Bible and I look at Christians and I'm like, man, they're awesome. And I think, what am I awesome at? And I'm like, well, I am awesome at judging. I'm really good. <laughs> My wife and children, I can point out every fault and every little thing and I'm versatile. I can judge strangers. <laughs> judging many of you right now as I'm speaking to you. And I'm really good at it. I'm really good at it. And I get, my guess is that some of you are too. Um, and, and as we're reading the Bible this year, I'm sure you've noticed all kinds of interesting things. And I, uh, I remember reading the Bible for the first time. And um, they said, start, you know, I didn't know, you just start in Genesis. So I started reading in Genesis. I made it into Leviticus, for those of you who know your Bible, and I kind of tapped out. And so I went to my pastor, what do I do? And he's like, hey, hey, uh, start in the New Testament. We should have made that clear. And they weren't smart enough like Seacoast to have a series called Start Here and encourage us to read something very accessible like the Gospel of John. So I'm reading uh, uh, Matthew. And I'm like, there's some great stories in there. Wow, about Jesus. That's really cool. I get into Mark. I'm like, some cool stories. Wait a minute. Didn't I read that in Matthew? Then I get into Luke and I'm reading more. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't that in Mark? And then I'm reading John. And I'm like, wait a minute. That... So what's up with that? Why do we have four Gospels? Well, here's a good reason for it. All of them are about the Gospel, Right? which is the story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But each one of the Gospels is written to different groups of people in the first century so that they can specifically understand who Jesus was. So John, the series we're kind of double-clicking on this, um, in this series, John was written to Greeks. So there's all kinds of Greek philosophy and, and understandings. Mark was written to Romans. Luke was written to Gentiles. Matthew, which is the text we're focusing on, was written to Jews. Matthew was written to religious people. So when Jesus in verse 1, the verse that almost every American knows, says, judge not, lest you be judged, and then he says, you need to judge yourself, that was scandalous for religious people. It was then, and it is now. When we were a new church, we didn't grow in two years to 8,000. I don't even know how that happens. We grew to 80, I think, in two years. I was delighted. And every person in a church, if you've ever been a part of a church plant, or if those of you here in the early days of Seacoast, like you're just, as a church planter, you're just like, okay, Lord, send me somebody, anybody, upright, bipedal, I'll take them, breathing, good. If they have dogs in their car, we'll count them in the attendance, right? We, we, we just need people. And so some people came to our church and they were very different than all the other people in our church. Um, now, subsequently, we had a ton of these uh, folks who would fit this uh, description. Um, uh, the husband didn't have shoes on when he came in, intentionally. Um, and then the wife had some kind of sandal thing made of hemp or tree bark or leaves or something like that. These folks were crunchy, right, with a capital K, right? They, they were, and they had, they'd spent the last uh, year or so, touring, or as they call it, touring with the band Fish. I'm like, did you play an instrument? No, we just kind of followed them and did that whole thing. And so I'm like, all right, that's one way to live your life. So they did that, and um, they come into the church, join a small group, God transforms their life. Somebody, some uh, businessman in the church hires the husband. I mean, they find community, they find purpose, everything is awesome, and about 10 months later, um, I'm, I'm coming around the corner, and before I get around the corner, I hear the wife the one with the tree bark hemp sandals, 
um, talking about some new person in the church, and I kind of pause because I wasn't liking what I was hearing. This girl was saying some really negative things about this new couple in our church that was way different than them. I mean, their husband not only had shoes, he had dockers, and he had his polo tucked in to his shirt. Really different than this couple, right? And she was just, and I was like, what happened to you? 10 months ago, you were homeless. You know, you were tripping on mushrooms. You were like stealing stuff from 7-Eleven to eat. I mean, I'll tell you what happened. She got religious. And it happens really fast. Because once we start to experience truth, religious folks, we begin to think we're superior to those who don't have the truth that we have. And Jesus is writing in the Gospel of Matthew to folks like that. Judge yourself. And so here's how Jesus feels when we don't judge ourselves. You ready for this? You sitting down? You hypocrite! Darren, did you just call me hypocrite? I did not. Jesus did. You hypocrite. Jesus, first take the log out of your eye, and I can hear some of us going, yes, get him, Jesus, right? Go get, tell those sanctimonious, self-righteous people to absolutely get, but wait, wait, wait. We live in a culture that basically says the only sin is to call something a sin. We live in a culture whose motto is it's okay to do whatever you want as long as what? You don't hurt somebody else. So this call, this call to, to, to actually pick, to, to, to carefully pick the speck, this call to judge is scandalous in our culture, just as the call to judge yourself is scandalous in the religious culture. So Jesus disagrees with our culture. It's not, it's not, it's not, we, we, it's nobody's job to correct somebody else's behavior. Jesus disagrees. Let me keep reading his words. And then, take the log out, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, hypocrisy is not only self-righteous judgment. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It, it, it's not just taking the log out of your eye. Hypocrisy, stay with me, is not seeing clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hypocrisy is not having the courage to use life-giving corrective words to help heal people with truth. That's what Jesus calls hypocrisy. He's not condemning judgment, friends. He's condemning self Righteous judgment. Which is why, he says, I want you, church, to drop the log. And I want you to look at your own self-righteousness, to face and deal with your own sin, and by turning from that self-righteousness, what will happen is you will gain the humility and the clarity needed to judge I can see clearly now the log is gone, right? That's what Jesus is saying. About a month and a half ago, I wake up and open my eyes, which I guess is kind of the definition of waking up, but you, you open, and, and it's, I, it's this left eyelid 
comes up. It feels like something like sharp is poking on it from my eye to the lid, something between my eye and my eyelid. You know, it's that nasty stuff that comes when, when you sleep or whatever. So I'm like blinking, trying to, and it won't go away, and it won't go away. And I'm like, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I go in the bathroom, and I'm looking, I'm looking, I can't see anything. I call my wife in, can you see anything? No, I can't see anything. Your finger's in the way. I'm trying not to, can you see it? Nothing, but it's there. I keep, every time I blink, every time I blink, it's there, it's there. And finally, I see, I look in the colored part of my eye, and the sa- almost the same color of brown that my eyes are, there's this little bitty flake. And it looks like it's like sticking out of my eye. And this is what's rubbing on my eyelid. And like, I'm going crazy. I don't know, something about the eyes, I don't, I don't play. Like, I don't like that. I don't like stuff around my eye. I, don't, I just don't enjoy it. And, and so we, you know, I'm like holding my open. You know, she's like running the faucet, hot, cold water, not hot water. We're talking, yelling at each other, fighting. I can't get it out. I can't. And it, finally, it comes out. Let me tell you something. If that speck didn't come out of my eye, it took about 15 minutes. My day was done. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't work. I couldn't think. This is, this is what Jesus is telling us. When our friends have these specks in our eyes, it paralyzes their lives. It doesn't just hinder their vision. It, 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 it destroys their destinies. It hinders their progress. They can't flourish. So Jesus says, I want you to judge. Why do we judge? Jesus says to. And our friends need us to. Where do we judge? Where does the speck removal thing happen? <clears throat> well, this text is found in Jesus' most famous sermon, the most famous sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us what life in the kingdom of God is like when it's rightly lived on earth. And so he talks to us about our finances, he talks to us about our sexuality, he talks to us about our business dealings, he talks to us about our money, and here he's talking to us about our words. And he's saying there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world. And in the kingdom of this world, here's what you have. You have gossip and slander and this don't judge no matter what thing going on. In the kingdom of this world, this destroying self-righteousness so that loving judgment can happen doesn't happen. But in the kingdom of God, where We are drained of our self-righteousness and and we're able to carefully help our friends that can't see. That's, that's That's what Jesus is after. Now, where does that happen? Church, where is the kingdom of God primarily experienced? The church. So where the lofty values of the kingdom of God meet the nitty gritty reality of day to day life, the local church. And this is the loving community where truth is to be spoken and received. And oh, by the way, this is what was supposed to happen in your home. But like many of you, I didn't have that. I had from, you know, my dad a lot of truth, not a lot of grace. Some of you had a lot of grace and not a lot of truth, right? But, but that balance, that truth-telling, that Hey, I gotta hit you with the truth, but then I'm gonna hug you, right? That's our opportunity in the local church. See, godly parents use corrective words not to hurt their kids, not to condemn them, to condemn their kids. Why do they do it? So that their kids can flourish, right? Godly Christians do the same. 
We correct each other for flir- so that they can flourish. Some of you are like, man, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to judge. Let's go. Can we say amen and like get after this thing? Well, hang on, Judgey Judgerson. Let's, let's pay attention to the metaphor. What's the metaphor here? What organ is he talking about? It's the eye. It's the eye. When you're dealing with an eye, this is kind of the big E on the eye chart, no pun intended, we have to judge carefully. Um, you don't want somebody, you, you don't, you're not just like walking in the mall one day or down the street and, oh, there's something in my eye. Excuse me, stranger, would you put your finger in my eye? Get to help me with this thing? You don't do that. If somebody is gonna get in your eye, right, you don't want dirt underneath your fingernails. You don't want sharp nails. You don't want open blisters. You want careful, right? It's your eye. And we know the eye is not an eye. The eye is a heart. The eye is a soul. The eye is a life. And so what? We're careful. But we're also thorough. We're also thorough. You don't want to have to go in twice. That's what was so hard about I've never had something in my eye where literally we had to go in and go in and go in and go in over and over and over again. See, you can be thorough but not careful. And you can also be careful and not thorough. See, when you're more thorough than careful, you got the truth, but you lack the grace and the love. And when you're careful more than you're thorough, you're very sensitive, but that tends to override the truth. And some of you are that way by personality. See, when it comes to all this stuff, you know what the second hardest thing to do is? It's to tell the truth. You know what the hardest thing to do is? To tell the whole truth. Um, some of you have sat in a courtroom, testified in a court, in a court of law, or at least watched law and order. You've heard this. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, help me, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help me. It's the whole truth. Now that doesn't mean every single time you go to confront somebody, you tell them the whole truth, meaning like every single thing that's Sometimes that's spread out, okay? But some of us, I'll tell them that next time. We'll get there later. I, you know, I was gonna tell them, but then it got, somebody came in and we just push it off and we push it off and we push it off. What are we doing? We're being careful, but we're not being thorough. And you have to do both. If you love your friend. If you don't love them, don't worry about it. Let them keep driving, the, 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 the bridge is out, the signs are there, let them, keep, let them keep going. But if you love them and you want them to flourish, you have to open your mouth. You have to go the last 10%, the whole truth. Why do we judge? Who told us to? Jesus. Where do we judge? Local church, we practice on each other. Supposed to do it in your family, a lot of us didn't get, get it there. Here's where we practice. How do we judge? Carefully, thoroughly. What are we to judge? This is interesting. We're to judge, and we see this in the life of Jesus. You keep reading John, you're gonna see him doing this. He judges actions and he judges attitudes. He does not judge motives. He does not tell us to judge motives. That's John 7. Don't judge by appearances. Right? Here's, here's how we do this. Well, they said this, they did that because. 
Are you sure? You sure you just didn't commit a suicide? You ever commit a suicide? You ever just know they did this because of this reason? And you're absolutely wrong. This happened to me one time. Uh, I was preaching, and when you're, when, you're, when you're speaking in front of people, some of you present and, and teach, and you know this, like, you're always looking for that friendly face, right? That person that understands nonverbal communication as the receiver. Um, and so, what, 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 you know, so the person that's shaking their head, yes, you're funny, while I'm interested, you, you, you tend to focus on them. It encourages you as a speaker. On the other side, there's people that really aren't quite as nuanced positively in their nonverbals, and so they're doing something like this. By the way, don't do this ever. And so if you're doing this, just, just, just real casually, just kind of slit your arms down. And <laughs> you say, well, I'm happy. We'll tell your face. And, and but this guy over here, he's got it wrong. And he's just frowning. And, you know, and I, for what, I usually don't focus on those folks, but I cannot not look at this guy. And he's right over here, and it's like a tractor being drawing my attention as I'm trying to get through this sermon. And I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm like, God, that guy hates God. He hates me. He hates puppies. What is, Lord, will you rapture this man so I can finish this sermon? I mean, literally, I go outside after the sermon. I'm not kidding you. And I'm greeting people at the door. And, he, and he's in line. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's still got the look on his face. And he gets within two feet of me. And his whole facial expression changes, whole demeanor changes, posture changes. And he says to me, Pastor, I just want to tell you that's the most meaningful thing I've ever heard in my life. You have no idea how much pain I've been in. That was so encouraging. I just got involved in your church this week and, and I'm, I'm gonna get in a small group and I'm gonna get in uh, you know, uh, some addiction recovery and I'm gonna, and I was like, oh, Captain Discernment, you missed that one. <laughs> right? what I do? I judged his motives. We judge actions and attitudes. Let me give you some actions, some sinful acts um, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, I do have an exhaustive list for you if you care to um, partake, but I'll just throw out a couple. Uh, here's things that we need to help bring correction to in our friends. One, sexual sin. This is sexual contact outside of the marriage covenant, okay? Gossip, this is idle talk about the affairs or actions of another, also called Facebook. This is also slander. <laughs> Hostile talk about the character of another, lying, dishonest business practices, drunkenness, misusing prescription drugs, outbursts of anger. All of these actions need healing words. But there's also attitudes. Arrogance, where people, you know, basically think they've made their own life without God and so they're proud about it and they feel superior to others. That needs to be corrected. Insecurity. Really? Insecurity is a sin? Yeah. You don't see yourself the way God sees you. You're staring at your shoes, you know, and, and thinking, oh, woe is me, and full of self-pity. My life's harder than... That needs to be corrected. That's not who God made you to be. That's not how God looks at you. That's not what you're called to, right? That needs to be correct. Fear, always worried, always freaking out, always what if. See, we are called in humility, friends, to judge the attitudes and actions of, our, of the people that are close to us because they're not only, not only not obedient to God, they're hurting themselves. They're hindering their destiny. 
So that's what we judge. Now, who do we judge? This is where we really mess up. Also consult Facebook on this one, all right? Here's, what we're, here's who we're really good at judging. Politicians, artists, athletes, entertainers, all kinds of people influencing the big bad world. And Christians are awesome at lobbing these grenade truth bombs, right? We're nuanced, man. We're researched, right? We read it on the internet. We're awesome at judging the world, and we're horrible at judging ourselves, which is the, why the world votes with their feet and doesn't come to our churches. Am I saying the church should never speak out on political issues? No, we should. Am I saying that we should never give critique of the culture? No, we should. And we should be critiquing ourselves all the more rig rigorously and consistently. And that's what doesn't happen, which is why the world thinks we are judgmental. And it's why they are repelled and allergic to our message a lot of times because of our self-righteousness. So here's what Jesus is doing in this text. He's really pressing us, church. Now I want you to read the underlying portions of these following verses that we've already read. You ready? We do, why do you see the speck that is in your eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your What's the key word of this text? It's brother. It's brother. This implies relationship. This implies connection. This means the people that are close to us need to hear from us, and the people that are close to, to us we need to hear from. And by the way, this all now makes sense of one of the craziest verses in the Bible. Uh, and also one of the most famous. A lot of people know this one too. You ready for it? Verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What? Okay. When you have a verse that seems crazy, the first thing you check is context. Where is it found? We're in a gospel, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We're in a gospel written to religious people, right? We're in a context that's talking about what? Judging, rightly judging. So what Jesus is doing is culturally he is challenging the religious leaders because the, 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 the Jews in the first century were God's covenant community, which means they belong together because they belong to God. We have the same privilege as Christians. That's another word for church is covenant community. We made a covenant with God and we belong to God and we belong to each other. So in the first century, the church, the, the, the God's people had gotten super self-righteous and so they called, get this, they called people outside of their community two things. What do you think they called them? Dogs and pigs. So Jesus says, don't give dogs and pigs Pearls and what is holy or sacred. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, friends, what is holy, sacred 
What are the pearls that he speaks of? What's he been talking about in the text? Loving judgment. Don't give loving judgment primarily to people outside of the covenant community. Do it primarily inside the covenant community. Now you study yourself to make sure I'm not a heretic, but that's what I think it means. I think it means we, we need to focus solely and squarely on ourselves as we then also speak prophetically to the world. But we forget the first part, don't we? We forget in our little rant, right? We forget the first part. What he's saying, it's really simple. We judge relationally. That's what he's saying. We judge relationally. So there's um, two things that every one of us need to do and one thing that most of us need to do. First, we all need brothers and sisters. Are you so connected and embedded in the life of another person that they could actually speak to you without it being like totally awkward because you've, you know them and, have been, and, and are known to them? Do you really have brothers and sisters? I just come to the services. That's good, the worship is awesome, the preaching's okay, so I'm glad, I'm glad Glad you're here, but you're living way beneath your privilege if you're not really connected to people. And that can be on a serving team, a dream team, that can be in a small group, that can be in a Bible study. You gotta have people next to you, you gotta have brothers and sisters. This, this whole thing doesn't work without brothers and sisters. You mean the verses we just read? Yeah, and the Bible. Never written to individuals, always written to, always written to the covenant community. Can't obey Hundreds of verses without being really connected. Can't do it. Do you have brothers? Do you have sisters? We all need them. And we all need some log removal surgery. Where are you self-righteous? Where do you feel superior? Where do you think you've made your own way apart from God? Where do you feel right apart from the righteousness of Jesus? All of us need that, those two things. And then some of us, some of us just flat out need to obey this text because we already know some people in and around our lives that need our loving, corrective, life-giving words. We know, we know. So let's pray and ask God to help us to do what we know to do. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your truth, thank you that you love us enough to tell us hard things. Thank you that hard truth produces soft, tender hearts. We don't want soft truth because that just produces hard hearts. We want hard truth so our hearts are soft. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.